Welcome to Student of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Knoll. We want to help you master the fundamentals, fall in love with practice, and win in the game in life. Welcome to the classroom. Today, I'm honored to be joined by my friend, Mike Gandolfo from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you were instrumental in my life. I I found you at a time that I I needed a friend like you, and I met you in California and didn't realize we lived about three and a half hours away. So thanks for being here today. Man, I'm excited and glad to be here. And like you've been just huge for me too and my family. And just like I've loved since that time you and I have met in California how we've gotten to know each other at a, you know, and our families have really gotten to know each other at a very deep level. So uh, it's, it's awesome. Cool. Well, let's get into it. Uh, the listeners want to know how they can learn a little bit from Mike Gandolfo. So tell us a little about your story, your background, and uh, how you got to where you are today. And I think we were talking before the uh, before we hit record, there's some sports in your background a little bit. So why don't you give us yeah, a story I mean, of Mike Gandolfo? The whole, the whole thing here. So I'll give you the uh, abbreviated version that has something to do with athletics, I guess. Uh, I am even though I'm a bigger guy now, I was extremely thin as a child. Like one of those guys, like I would try to eat whatever I could eat just to try to gain weight. And I could not gain weight. I literally got married at 155 pounds. I think you've seen the picture before, Brad. So, I mean, I was like skin and bones, could not gain weight. And all I wanted to do growing up was be an athlete. I would, I did not have your athletic ability, uh, but I love sports. I love competition. I was just not very good at a lot of things. I was a fairly good tennis player, and but at a really early age. And uh, but I wanted I wanted to be a basketball player. I mean, that's that's you're living in Kentucky. That's what you want to do. You want to be a basketball player. And um, you know, I I worked worked hard. Uh, I went to an all boys Catholic high school. Uh, a guy ahead of me and the year ahead of me was a guy named Scott Pageant, who was an All-American in Kentucky yeah, and, big and name. played for the Utah Jazz, still coaches basketball today. And uh, my freshman basketball team tryouts was 112 kids trying out for the freshman basketball team. It was, it was at that tryout that I'll never forget, not that this matters to this podcast, but we found out that Maddie Johnson had HIV like in the middle really? of our tryout. I remember yeah, that. Um, can like remember exactly where I, where I was. And, you know, I got cut, you know, pretty early because I, I was not going to stand out. I was I was tall, but it wasn't really tall enough to be a post player and definitely not strong enough or had the bulk to play in the post. And I wasn't quick enough and skilled enough to play on the perimeter. And so I, it was easy, especially with 112 kids at whatever at tryouts to, for me to get kind of lost in the shuffle. And uh, so I got cut. Continue to work, continue to work, continue to work. Sophomore year, played summer basketball with my high school, whatever else. Uh, got cut again. Junior year, got cut again. Senior year, uh, literally, like, not only got cut, but had to leave because I took an elbow to the head and got stitches. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, all right, like, this is, like, not – it's obviously not going to happen. And I was like, you know, at that point, like, you could, you could let basketball tell you no. Or I was like, do I really want to be a part of basketball and do I want to do? And so the entire time, every time I got cut, uh, I was very, we had, we were blessed at our school. And when I say we had a sports medicine department, like I had the, I had the person who was the second ever certified athletic trainer in the state of Kentucky. He was a field medic in the military and he started EMS in Jefferson County, which is where Louisville is. This dude was you know, I don't know if we can cuss in here, but he was a bad, whatever. You know uh, what? So, <laughs> I mean, he was he was he was the man, 
and he taught me a lot of things and was really one of my mentors. But I, I did sports medicine and it allowed me to be involved with the teams and be around and whatever else. And ultimately, after getting cut four years in high school, it, it's, it was my path to stay involved with basketball going to college. I went to Bellarmine uh, College or Bellman University, which if you're up in the Fort Wayne area, we used to be in the f- same conference as IPFW. I'll never the forget GLB- my first trip the there to see the Macedons. Huh? The GLVC. The GLVC, man. And we were we would walk into the gym before we played those guys and just watch the volleyball practice and watch those dudes because they had their basketball team was so so back then. Uh, it, was, it was before the Doug Knoll days. And uh but man, they they had some volleyball guys that could get up and their volleyball team was legit. I I guess it still is. Is it still pretty solid, Brad? It's definitely solid. It's it's not what it used to be just because of of the story program. But I remember when I was getting recruited here to IPFW, this is your story, but I'll just take a break here. When I was getting recruited, you know how most times on recruiting days you go to the football games, you know, in big campuses? Yeah, you went to volleyball games? <laughs> we went to a volleyball game. Yeah, they they, they brought our family down. Like, you guys are gonna go to the volleyball game at the Coliseum tonight and you know, P Tac and Hector Soto and these guys were jumping literally over the net and uh, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was fun watching them. So you're not wrong. Six, there. Our seven, to team was, 16 guys just they slamming. Were, they, they were competing for the national championship division one. And this is back when we were division two every single year. So yeah, it legit. it was crazy. So, so you remember um, you remember that about Indiana, right? So I see that I jab that where you talk about, you, you talk about how good Kentucky <laughs> basketball is, but then the, the only thing you talk about in Indiana is our volleyball. Well, I will tell you right now, people don't realize how good of a volleyball state Indiana and Kentucky both are, at the, especially at the girls' level and high school level. Yeah. It's pretty insane. It's not California. It's, this is where it's at. So so anyway, it, I was able to stay around basketball. There was the guy, the coach of Bellman at the time was a guy named Bob Valvano, Jim Valvano's brother. The GLVC was loaded back then. I mean, you, Bruce Pearl was coaching. Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. I think they had four different schools in like six years win the national championship. It was mm-hmm. quite possibly the best basketball league in America at any level. And, um, and but so you're around some just really good high level Division II basketball, and I got to be involved. And, uh, and it at the Division II level, you know, I, I got a little taste of the D2 life and a little taste of the D1 life. The D2 life, everybody is kind of, we're all in the foxhole together, right? So, you know, the coaches were really dependent on us. They actually gave me and this other guy who wanted to coach one day, because I, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to play, but I could still I could still coach. They gave us a lot of responsibility that we probably never would have gotten if we would have gone to a D1 school right off the bat. And, uh, you know, so Coach Valvano, who I still see very regularly today, because he we both do sports radio at the uh, local ESPN station. And, uh you know, he was instrumental there and, and his assistant, Ian Patrick and all Terrence Mormon and Rob Rocky. There's all these guys, Don Evans. They were, they were great. And, uh, and we would just, uh, so we were, the, I, we, I was there through my sophomore year and then I went and, um, I was already engaged and I'm, I grew up a Kentucky fan, but I ended up transferring to the university of Louisville and got to be on staff with coach crumb who just passed away last week. And, uh, you know, it, it was a reminder though, like I remember the first time Denny Crone called me by name and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I thought I was just be one of these like guys on the wall that he just, you know, would, if he ever spoke to me, it was to yell at me or whatever else. We've never heard the guy yell once actually. And, uh, the coolest thing that my job was at Louisville was my job was to uh, be the, I was, I was at all the practices and I got to be involved with all the practices, but my job was to sit on the visiting team's bench and be the liaison to the, uh, the away team. So like Nolan Richardson, Charlie Spoonhour, you know, uh, all these coaches that that came this way and, and played in that league and um, or against Gene Katie. I was on 
I was on Gene Cady's bench the night he became Purdue's all-time winningest basketball coach. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> um, so, so, so for people who don't understand basketball right now, you're name dropping. Like these are legendary coaches, and and what I'm taking away right now is like your your circle just became massive, right? It's like the the connections you're making, the experiences you're having. I'm sure that taught you a lot. Well, I mean, I think most of all because I'm there and I'm on their bench, and I get to see like I'm watching I'm watching game management stuff. I'm watching mm -hmm. how they manage their uh, how they manage their their bench, how they interact with their assistant coaches, how they substitute, what goes in, what goes out. And yeah, you I mean you got, you know, you got some guys who, you know, you sit on Bob Huggins's bench and you're hearing very I learned very good colorful words to to use and he's telling uh, man, was it Danny Fortson? Was that his name? That dude that, that was just, I mean, he was like I a baller. So. I mean, the guy's coming out of the game and he's like, you effing suck and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, and then you get the other coaches and see how they lift him up. And you can kind of, you know, we're, we're a collection of all these influences in our life. And we take the good stuff from everybody and, and mix it in a bowl. And hopefully we can come up with something better. Right. I mean, that's kind of like what we, what we're there to do. And um, so I was very grateful for that experience. And and then I went on to, as soon as I graduated, I, I graduated, I decided I did not want to be in sports medicine. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually thought I was going to become a, a major league baseball umpire, which is a whole other story for another day. It, and I, uh, before I left for tryouts, which they called umpiring school, I, uh, I started to substitute teach, started to coach a little football, which I'd never played. And then just really loved that whole coaching life. And I became the youngest athletic director in the state of Kentucky at a high school. I'm skipping over some things. Uh, coach right. high school basketball. Realized that I didn't want to be in the in the building anymore, but I still wanted to coach. And so it was like, hey, what what is not as busy in the wintertime and I can have unlimited freedom and just still, you know, have a living. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go get into real estate so I can continue to coach basketball. And I went on to uh, even coach a little college basketball. We won a national title in 2009 with the, the college team I was with. And after that, I started running an all-star game. You can see these two basketballs above my head. That's yeah. uh, from the Derby Classic, which was at the at the time it was the oldest um, all-star game in America. So we old, older than the Madonna's All-American Game, uh, older than the Jordan Classic, which is actually not that old. But it was that those were the, it was like the McDonald's All-American Game, the Jordan Classic, and the Derby Classic were the three big all-star games at the time. So I uh, over the course of about five years, I recruited twenty-six NBA first-round draft picks to play in that all-star game. So. You know, I'm watching the playoffs right now, and I'm watching my guys like Marcus Smart and and stuff like out there doing doing their thing and and cheering for them, and because they're all they're all they're my guys. Like that was always my thing when I was coaching. It's like you step into this gym, uh, whether you're on the All Star team or you were one of the guys that I did a full season with or four years with or whatever else. Like you're one of my kids. That never stops. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of where it was. That my my love of coaching catch me introduced me to real estate but then i figured out that a lot of what i like about coaching i can find in real estate and that allowed me to have a real estate career since 2006 and i don't really coach anymore but I, although i did coach my first professional basketball game last week and so <laughs> we lost by one Okay. Well, so, I, I want to, I want to talk more about your real estate business, but before we do, you know, I, yeah. I actually, I actually didn't know that you tried out four times in high school. Yeah. I Talk about the perseverance. I want to, I want to talk about the perseverance. That's like, it, what, man. Like, like what, what other, like how, where'd that come from? How did you, cause, cause people can't relate to like name dropping these coaches and they can't relate to sitting on benches at big division one schools, but they can relate to a guy that just keeps getting knocked down and keeps showing up every single day. Where'd that come from? You know, ironically enough, there was two guys that got 
cut all four years from my high school that both went on to be uh, college basketball coaches and win national championships. And he, the other guy, actually was uh, played, ended up playing Division two basketball. Literally, was like one of those stories where you hear about the scout was just happened to be there at an open gym, and the kid was there. He's like, "Hey, who's that kid?" And he picked him up, and he ended up being like a two-time All-American and his school's all-time leading scorer. I never played a game of high school basketball, but that's what he did in in uh, in college. And um, for me, it was like I loved it so much that. I just wasn't going to take no for an answer. Like there was a place for me. If if you love something so much, there's a place for you there. You just got to go find where the place is. T- tell me about so, yeah. So I, I hear I hear all of this right, and and the people listening are, are thinking to themselves like, hey, I can relate to that. I can I can get knocked down and I can get back up. But then also talk about there's a lot of leaders listening to this podcast too. What about those coaches that can't evaluate talent? I mean, you have 115 guys, 110 guys, whatever, and somebody's going to fall through the cracks. Like, how do you now oh, as yeah. a leader, how, how, how did you learn those lessons about evaluating talent and how do you bring that to your real estate business today? I think, number one, I realized that it was my job, and I think this is something that I took very well. I never held resentment for getting cut. Because so it wasn't, the, it wasn't, their, you know, it wasn't their responsibility. It was my responsibility to show where I could fit in and show where I could have a place and show where I could have a part. And I think at that age, you're so worried about scoring and, hey, I can score this, score that. But I knew if I made the team, I was going to be one of the last couple of guys. I needed to show that I could help make the team better in other ways. You know, I, w- I wasn't going to make the team as a score. I was going to make the team because I hustled, because I played incredible defense or whatever else. And it was under and the the pro team that I just worked with, it's kind of the same thing. Like sometimes you'll get in these these lower level pro leagues. I know your dad coached in the G League, but the league I was with was called the TBL, the basketball league. And some of those guys are putting up some big points. And they're like, why can't I get a look? Why can't I get a look? It's like because when you're getting up a level, they don't need you to be a scorer. They need you to be the dog. Like you got to mm-hmm. go out there and do the do the dog stuff. Yeah. And they need to see how that you're going to be a teammate and you're going to accept that role. But ultimately for me, it was like realizing that when I'm looking at talent, that there's talent belong beyond the glitz and glamour part of it, right? So like Billy Donovan talks about this this great interview. I think I shared it with you once about this kid that when he was coaching Florida had an awful shooting night and he was like one for 13. I can't remember exactly. You know, I'm just making up numbers now. And Billy Donovan said, hey, you know, how long does it take you to shoot a shot? He's like, I don't know, about a second. He's like, so you're going to, you played tonight, you played tonight 27 minutes. You're going to let 12 seconds determine whether or not you had a good game or a bad game. You know, how often do you think you really have the basketball? And like you, you don't have the basketball in your hands when you're playing basketball that much. I mean, unless you're Brad Knoll. And so, because you're the coach's son. No, I'm just, (laughs) you know, you don't, you don't (laughs) have the basketball in your hands that much. All right. So at the end of the day, like the game can't be defined by just when you have the ball in your hands or by the shots you take. It's all the other stuff that has to come together to make something great. And when you can identify the roles that you need to have and the people you have to have in that position, I think that's when you can make a great team. Time out. Student of the Game is brought to you by Knoll Team Real Estate. Our mission is to eradicate mediocre real estate transactions. On your largest financial purchase, you shouldn't have to deal with average. We do this by helping you save time, reduce your stress, and helping you keep as much money in your pocket as we can. You can help us out by introducing us to your friends or family who want to make confident real estate decisions, whether buying, selling, building, or investing. At Knoll Team Real Estate, we are connected to a group of realtors 
who sell one in every eight homes in North America. If you know someone moving out of your area, there's a great chance we can connect them to somebody we know, like, and trust. Remember, relationships win. Now back to the show. So where were you when I was 22 and, and I was getting out of basketball and chose not to play professionally overseas and get right into real estate? Like, you know, all of these lessons that you're talking about right now, like I needed that person in my life. So, um, you know, you have amazing kids. I love your kids. Like I, I feel like they're my niece and nephew. But, you know, how do you, how do you take this the same philosophy that you just talked about and bring that, you know, as a parent? Well, I mean, my, you know, my daughter, my, so Brad's been very instrumental with my daughter who was going to go play college basketball up at um, St. Francis up in Fort Wayne and so, has uh, had issues with concussions and ended up not going the way she thought. And she, she had she had a grade school experience or middle school experience, whatever people want to call it, where she was uh, highly touted, highly, you know, she started hearing from Division One schools in the eighth grade. We, we won more than we lost. And when we won, she outscored the other team. And then as soon as she went to high school, nothing was normal. We had injuries, we had concussions, we had COVID, we had all this stuff. Even though she made an EYBL team, for people who don't understand, that's the Nike-sponsored top level of club basketball. She made an EYBL team as a freshman, and that's when she got the concussion. And there's only, there's only like 32 of those teams in the country. And she realized, I think that, you know, so she's, she's had her own journey of where basketball said yes to her early on and recently said no to her. And I'm just constantly reminder, like, hey, there's there's more dimensions to this. Like, if you still love the game and you want to be involved, you've got a lot to offer. You've got a lot to give. And at the same time, making sure that she's not defining herself only as a basketball player and she understands where these gifts and talents that at the end of the day, like, I learned this from coaching. And, and then when I was able to take what I – do coaching basketball to coaching people to help their real estate dreams come true. At the end of the day, God gave me gifts to share with others, and that's where I experienced the joy. Basketball is a vehicle. Real estate's a vehicle for me to share those gifts. And all I'm really looking to do is like understand, I need to understand those gifts I have, how to best use them, and then the how the vehicle that I'm currently working with, how that allows me to share my gift with those people who need them the most. Whether that's basketball or not, and if she wants it to be in basketball, she she's got all the opportunities in the world. You know, we got I still have a fairly decent Rolodex. If she wants to go coach, you know, we could figure that out. You know, so that's that's I think that's where it comes to the most is just giving is offering the perspective of, you know, now that basketball is kind of telling you no, and she's had to medically retire from playing. That doesn't mean that your basketball journey has to be over. I mean, there's a lot of good coaches that never even played the game. Like she had the ability to play at a pretty high level and, and you know, if it was taken away from her, but I think what you shared is perspective, right? So like talk about this per- the perspective that you now bring to your real estate company. So how long have you, you and Chrissy had your real estate business? Yeah. So we, um, I got in real estate in 2006, opened up my own brokerage in 2011. Um, so it's been 12 years now. So we are a boutique brokerage. Like we serve, we, we lead with serving people. I'm a big believer in this book called the go giver and living those five laws, the go giver, of uh, and I think one of the things you want to talk about were fundamentals, and we focus on those five laws as a fundamental for us of you know offering more in value than we take in payment. That our compensation is uh, is connected to how well and how many people we can serve. That uh, our influence is determined by how abundantly we put the needs of others ahead of the of the needs of our own. Um, that the most the most important gift I can give is my authentic self. 
and that uh, the key to being a an effective giver is staying open to receiving. And you know, so at the end of the day, I think for us, like we're trying to find other people who are givers and not takers, who understand how this is not a sales job; it's a service job that we're we're serving the most. You know, I, I have this thing right now. I think you want to talk about this a little bit. That um, this thing called change the algorithm. What the algorithm is is that if you go to Google and you type in "realtors are" in the search bar, and then you let it autofill, it's not the most affirming words if you want to get into the real estate business. You know, it's like things like "realtors are trash," "realtors are overpaid," uh, "realtors are required to arbitrate." Like, there's all these, you know, weird things, and it's like there's not one positive. Or every once in a while, you'll have one positive thing in there, but most of the time, it's it's all negative things. And at the end of the day, that's what the brand is for the real estate business. And we have it as a mission of ours, even though we're a small company, that we're going to change that algorithm algorithm, basically one relationship at a time and, and basically showing that it doesn't have to be that way. Like we're dealing with a very fragile person moving in its own as it's such a stressful thing. And what makes it so, so just magnified is that a move, especially right now, is usually triggered by another highly emotional time in somebody's life or a highly emotional event in their life, good or bad. I'm getting married. I'm getting divorced. There's Our family's growing. We got new kids or maybe there's a death. Mom and dad just passed away and we got to sell the house. Or mom and dad are going to assisted living and we got to sell the house. I got a great new job and I can go get a new house. Hey, we lost our job. We got we to gotta, you know, cut some expenses. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And then, of course... Let alone, this is such a, an important decision that 95, you know, it's the largest investment that 99% of people ever make uh, in their life is their, is their home. And so they need this trusted advisor to be in their corner to make sure that they're guiding them and that they've got their best interest in, uh, in, at heart. And, uh, and I'm not going to leave them at the closing table. Like, you know, our job is not done. I had lunch today with people that closed in 2019, I'm constantly talking, just like you are, to people that we worked with years and years and years ago because we're constantly serving them. I might only get paid at the closing table, but that doesn't mean my job's done. And that doesn't mean that person's not my client and that I'm not serving them. Um, just kind of like that same thing I just said. It's like once you're one of my basketball players, you're one of my players forever. And the same thing applies to, to the real estate business. Like once you're one of my clients, you're always my client. And I'm always there for you. Uh, unpack that a little bit because I think everybody who's in sales or in business would would agree with your philosophy. But I think the the struggle is it's it's the daily grind, right? Like I need to pay my bills today, or I need to make some money today. This is not the get rich quick scheme that we talk about. Relationships take a while. I mean, relationships win. We're gonna we're gonna close with that today. What happens when you're talking to a new agent and all of these things all of these things sound really good, but your new agent has a short runway to make this this business successful. So what would be the first couple couple things that you'd give them to put in their tool belt uh, right away? Yeah, so I'm a big believer in another book called The 12 Week Year. And so we come up with a 12 week plan based off the things that they're most likely to do that we could start to get their business off the ground and running and understand that they still have relationships that will serve them. And basically how we transition them from a new agent to a Per, uh, uh, an agent that works by referral or it focuses on the relationship side of the business mm -hmm. and not the transactional side of the business. Because what ha most happen, what most of the times will happen is they'll come in and they'll go to a team or something that's very transactional. That's all they learn. And the transactional side of the business is like a trap. It's like, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this way, but you're too, like, once it kind of gets your, their, it's hooks into you, can't, 
you can't stop it. Like it's gonna, it's got you, and you, it's hard to get out of that transactional side of the business. And you don't feel good doing it because you're constantly chasing business. Where I'm a firm believer in not chasing business, but attracting quality relationships that I need to serve. And and those relationships relationships are out there. I mean, we have to educate people. We got to let people know what it is that we do. We got to let them know how we're different. We got to be able to, you know, the biggest thing in the real estate industry today. The, the one thing that I would train any agent is to be able to articulate and demonstrate your value. You know, your value is more than just being able to show up and open a door or put a sign in the yard. And when we can articulate and demonstrate that value, it goes a long way. Uh, I was, <laughs> this, is, this is great. I was talking to an, a young insurance agent this week, just talking about his business and what he's going through. And, you know, he was asking me this question. You know, he, he was, he's wanting to be relational in his approach, but right now, because he's hustling, you know, he's, coming across transactional. And I said, I remember, Mike, I'm, I'm asking you a question here. Do you remember when? But I remember exactly where I was when I knew I needed to change. I had a home for sale and about four to five houses down was a for sale by owner. And my first four years in the business, I did open houses every Sunday. I chased every lead. I called expires. I knocked on for sale by owner's doors. I, try, I tried everything possible to get new business and was very transactional because that's what was modeled for me. And I remember sitting in the driveway after this appointment. I went and knocked on the door, had an appointment, went in, met with the for sale by owner. I go back out to my car and I just sat there. And I said to myself, if my client sees me Praying on this for sale by owner, what are they going to think? They're going to think, hey, man, why don't you spend a little more time selling my house instead of chasing more business? And it, it was like at that moment that I knew that was not who I wanted to be. Did you have a moment like that where it was just like a light bulb came on or was it like immediately into the business you knew what to do? I, I knew. So I had a couple of things that happened in my business. First off, my grandfather owned a car dealership, the old, oldest Lincoln Mercury dealership in the, in the country. And uh, one of the three original that were still left in 1989, and and he owned it until he passed away in 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. He would have Ford come down and, and ask him why his client retention rate was so high. He had he had more repeat and referral business than any other car dealership in his region, and people would drive hundreds of miles to go buy a car from them. And so it was modeled for me at a very early age. And then I was introduced to working by referral. Uh, at the brokerage I joined in 2006, uh, within the first two weeks of getting into the real estate business, and when I, when I'm going through these training courses, I quickly realize exactly what my grandfather's been doing the entire time. And so, really, for me, I d I've never known the transactional way. I think for me, it would feel going back to that law of the go giver of authenticity. It would feel so unauthentic that I probably would have gotten out before I would have had that light bulb moment. I don't think I could have done it. So, all right, you're, fast forward, you couldn't have done it. You, you knew exactly what to do. Your grandfather modeled it for you. My grandfather did the exact same thing. I just got caught up, you know, in the wrong crowd, I say, you know, it, when I started my, my real estate business. But talk about, go a little deeper. Oh, with, you got to remember, I was a teacher before, so I, I was used to not making any money. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> tell, tell me, how, how are you going to change the algorithm moving forward? Like, what are you doing in your brokerage right now to change the algorithm? I mean, I hear the go-giver. I mean, it's, it's awesome. I, I heard Bob Berg on your, on your podcast. Tell, how are you and Chrissy? changing the algorithm locally in Louisville? I mean, number one for us, it's going out there and just training our agents and training agents who I don't even really care if they're at our brokerage or not. I'm I'm open. And this is like the open-handed approach I have. If, a, if an agent comes and gets trained for us and they leave us for another brokerage, but they continue our way of doing things somewhere else, man, all they're doing is spreading the message. 
Like I'm such in the in the world of abundance as far as that goes. Even right now when things seem tough as far as the number of transactions being down, it's all about the abundance piece for me. There's plenty my deals are out there. I, it's up to me to go find them and go and go hunt. I might be doing a little bit more hunting hunting than gathering right now. But at the end of the day, I, I'm trying to get in front of as many agent audiences as possible to kind of deliver my keynote and let them know that part of why that reach that that whole uh, algorithm exists is honestly because our industry, all industries suffer from this, but especially the real estate industry suffers from imposter syndrome, right? Like we probably do more legal work um, than anyone else except for attorneys. And yet you don't even have to go to college to get a real estate license. We, pro- we do more uh, therapy work than anyone else except for people who are actually therapists. Like I'm, I will tell you that most of our job, and I think Brad, you say this as well, is like we're constantly in therapy sessions with our clients, especially when it's marriage counseling. And, you know, again, we didn't even have to necessarily go to college. We have no special training where most, you know, if you're an attorney or a therapist, you might even have a doctorate or you've gone to school for eight years for this. We're helping people be financial advisors and we're not very good with our own money. And uh, at the end of the day, we're doing high stakes negotiations. Again, this is the largest investment that 99% of our people ever make. Uh, so, you know, anytime they move up in house, it's the largest investment they've made. And they're, they're trusting us with those negotiations. And when you were got into the real estate business, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people who said, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a realtor. Usually what happens is you failed at something else or you were a stay-at-home parent and then you're coming into the business or whatever else like you real estate is something that you kind of come upon like right it's like maybe i'll go i'll go do that and uh but it's not like you've got a lot of people who are like that's what i want to do when i grow up and whatever else and at the end of the day so that's what that imposter syndrome is, is there and and that's why we harp on people of like understanding number one the problem we solve and the value you, you present to solving that problem uh, and so we try to spread that message to as many agents beyond just making sure that our agents are as trained as as well as any agent in our in our database or our marketplace. I'm sorry. So what I, what, what I hear when you're changing the algorithm is, you know, a stat that I think you and I both came upon recently is, you know, 87 percent of homeowners, when they list their financial advising team, do not mention their realtor. And, you know, that's a shame because there, there's so many things you can do from a financial management standpoint or a strategic financial plan that has to do with your home, with investment properties. You know, there's so much out there and, and we need to be better and, and we do need to change the algorithm. So I hope the listeners understand that, you know, whether you're if you're in real estate or not, you could be in any industry. You need to hang around people that are students of the game that want to grow and that ultimately want to serve others. Mike, it's it's something that uh, I've shared with you privately. I'll share with you publicly. Uh, you are somebody that's made a difference in my life, and I know you're making a difference in the people you serve, in the people you're talking to. I've got uh, a couple final questions here, but you, you touched on a little bit with changing the algorithm. But for you and Chrissy, what does winning look like? You know, so so you have all these fundamentals. You know, there's there's all the work that you've done, all the work that you're putting in, the blood, sweat, and tears, the things that are unseen. But now we're playing a game. What's the game for you and Chrissy that you're playing? Freedom. Mm. And freedom looks like for me, her and I having a vacation home in Italy that we get to go over and, and enjoy just worry-free. 
you know, our business is rock and rolling financially. We're, we're in good spots. The, the calendar is that the time is being managed. Like the machine is still going, even though we're in Italy uh, for months out of the year. How many bedrooms and bathrooms? Because I, I think I, mean, I want to come. You have a spot. You have <laughs> okay, a spot. You know that. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do we'll do the pod from over there. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. One of one of the things that we like to touch on with Student of the Game podcast is in the game of life, relationships win. And uh, I hear a lot of interviews today, and there, there's something that the kids are saying where it's like, "Hey, man, uh, give him his flowers, give her her flowers," which means show him appreciation, show him gratitude. So, Mike. Who's somebody you want to send some flowers to publicly right now? Who's one person that has made an instrumental impact in your life that has changed your algorithm and has ended you up where you are today? Well, I mean, I'm going to go with my, I'm going to go with my wife. I mean, we work together. We are better when we're together. We got, we, I married my prom date. So, um, we've been together continuously since 1995. We've been married since 2000. And uh, we've got two awesome kids together. But, you know, I would say I probably had, after I graduated from college and didn't, knew I didn't want to use my degree, it was probably the toughest time of my life. And we were uh, engaged, married, and she was by me every step of the way. And she's always been my biggest supporter, making sure that I can go out there and, and do what I'm supposed to do and, and help me realize that, you know, it can be very defeating. I, I think after you get done with college, like there's no natural next step. And especially if you don't want to use your degree. And um, that's probably was the, the toughest part of life for me. And I, I would have no, no telling where I would have been if it wasn't for her. Well, I appreciate you saying the word degree because in this classroom, we're all a student of the game. And I think that's one of the best degrees you can have. That's right, man. I appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for, for being a huge, huge inspiration in my life. Thanks for being a friend. And, uh, and you and Chrissy are, are amazing people. So uh, blessings on blessings for you guys. And uh, where can people find you? Uh, I know you got a podcast. You got some social media out there. Where can people find you and, and get more of the good stuff from Mike Gandolfo? Uh, so we have a podcast, Focus, Execute, Win. It's probably the easiest podcast to go search from the business side of that I do with New York Times bestselling author uh, Michael Lennington and the queen of coaching, Kristen Tabbert. And, uh, and then if you want to learn a little bit about horse racing, you can check out the Horse Racing Happy Hour. That's the other podcast that I do that's actually, um, in the world of podcasting, a much bigger deal. But <laughs> it's, it's still, we got a pretty big audience on that horse racing podcast. You're a clown, and it's actually a lot of fun to listen to you on that. So uh, keep, up, keep up the good work in the, in the world of horse racing. So, uh, Well, that, that's our time for today. We're going to end it there. Mike, thanks again. And uh, as we sign off, like we always do, in the game of life, relationships win. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Student of the Game podcast. Whatever game you are playing, I'm cheering for you. See you in the next class.